Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. This summer, we uh, have been working our way through the essential beliefs of the Christian faith, uh, believing that just as championship sports teams are built on mastery of the fundamentals, the real basics and essentials of their sport, our church and the church in America could once again return to a place of strength and health and victory if we quit focusing on the things that don't matter and instead focused once again on the truths that are taught to us as the essentials of the faith in the Christian scriptures. And so all summer long, we've been going back to the basics. Now, let me ask you something. If you've been here over the course of the summer and somewhere along those 12-ish, 13-ish weeks that we've been studying these basics, you've had one of those, huh, aha moments. Would you just raise your hand? Okay, you see why championship teams continue to drill the fundamentals? It's because you can always learn more. You can take them to a deeper level. They can go deeper within you. And some of you who've walked with the Lord for dozens of years or for decades just said, the basics impacted me this summer. Good, good. Well, we started off this study by learning about who God is. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And we learned about Jesus Christ, and we learned about the Holy Spirit. And and while we haven't been, um, the, the purpose hasn't been to study the Apostles' Creed so that you guys know the Apostles' Creed, it is this ancient expression of our faith that we've had in whole or in part for about 1,900 years. And, and we have it in almost its finished form, like, like we were will confess it here together in just a moment, for about 1,700 years. Some would argue 1,300, but anybody who wants to argue the difference between 1,300 and 1,700 years today? Good. Okay, nobody. Good. Why? Because you understand the essentials, and that's not one of them, right? Yeah, so we've been kind of using the Apostles' Creed as this sort of condensed answer. If someone were to ask, hey, what do you believe as a follower of Jesus? Here's one of the ways that we could explain it to them. And and we started out learning about who God the Father is, and today we're going to wrap up the series by learning what it is that he has in store for those of us who love him, who follow him, and who stay faithful to him to the end. And when I was a little kid, there was a, a weird guy that showed up on television broadcasts of sporting events all of the time. You guys remember? Um, next slide, please. Yep. It's not Sasquatch. Sasquatch did not show up at any sporting events. This guy, you remember this guy with the rainbow wig? Yeah, he showed up at NFL games. He showed up at NBA games. Man, when they, behind, you could see him many times through the plexiglass backboard at NBA games. He even showed up, managed to sneak into the royal wedding between Prince Charles and Princess Diana and broke out into a dance that they didn't televise um, underneath the balcony where the two of them were appearing at the time. His name was Roland Stewart. He was, be proud, a Spokane native. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and whether it was at an NFL game or an NBA game or at the royal wedding, he had one message that he wanted to get across to the world, and it was either printed on his shirt or, in, or on a big sign that he would hold up. And that sign always said, John 3.16. That's the sign that he always, you guys, come on, football people. You remember John 3.16 guy? Yeah, well, uh, he had this one message 
And he just put John 3.16 up there, and he figured everybody who knew John 3.16, they'd remind themselves of it. And folks who didn't know who John was or what those numbers were would look them up. And this was before the days of the internet, when you actually had to look things up and ask people. And, and he just carried out what it was his form of ministry of this message for, um, for well over a decade. That's before um, he went crazy and went to prison. But uh, all the same, um, if you grew up, uh, maybe not before he went crazy, uh, yeah. if you grew up going to Sunday school like I did, you probably memorized that verse. And just as, as Pastor Kaylee's having our kids learn the books of the Bible, they learn verses from the Bible as well. And one, one of those staples, one of those things that we make sure children learn who are brought up in the faith is the truth of this verse, John three sixteen. Most of us who are old enough to have memorized it as part of Sunday school, probably also memorized it in the King James Version. Huh? Yeah. And so it's, again, it's up here in the King James Version. And I'm, would you just humor me for a moment and read it out loud with me, King James style? I mean, that doesn't mean like, you know, fake a British accent. It just means get the F on the end of believeth, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I got candy for learning that when I was a little kid. They were baiting me, and it worked. And boy, am I glad, because the truth of this verse has become something that I have built my life upon. That verse, I think, has rightly at times been described as the summation of all of the Christian scriptures and of the teaching of Jesus. I will not argue with either of those claims. I think, in fact, that I agree. The Bible as a whole and the teachings of Jesus can be summed up in his claim that there is a God who is a father, who loves us like no other, who prefers our salvation over his own comfort, who is willing to sacrifice incredibly to make that happen, just so that you and I could have the chance, if we wanted it, to enter into a relationship with him that would become permanent in a way that nothing else in our life ever could be. People by the billions have been drawn to this message. I was as a little boy and still am today. And that message, whether it came from the poster boards of crazy guys or the uh, rather enthusiastic assertions of preachers like me or from the mouths of little kids who've come to believe and just want to know for sure that their friends know Jesus, that message has been very, very, very effective. And here's why. It's because there is something in the heart of all human beings that longs for a life that is deeper and has a greater dimension than the mere biological and that will outlast the biological too. There's something in every human heart that leaps at a chance to be more than an animal in this world and to one day enjoy an existence that is beyond this place with all of its brokenness and sorrows and struggles. My heart longs for that, and it's why it leaps in the direction of faith every time that I read John 3.16, probably now for the thousandth, thousandth time. As we wrap up our study of the essentials of the Christian faith today, I want to make sure that we focus 
and remain focused on this promised gift from God, eternal life. Because the promise of eternal life is one that can change how you live in the here and now. It can also change how you experience all of the stuff of life, from the great blessings of God to the incredible heartaches of this world and the gray days in between. I'm learning these days in my faith, after walking with him for 40 plus years, that eternal life is the promise. It's the big promise of our faith. And the more that I understand it, the more my heart is set free from a lot of things that have weighed me down for a lot of years. Our church family this week laid to rest a very dear friend and brother, John Myrick. I said confidently at his memorial service that John is at home with the Lord, well and whole, having received the, the goal of his faith, the salvation of his soul. Whenever we think about people who are passing from this world, we tend to start thinking in terms of place. Where are they going? And because the Bible seems to talk about two places of ultimate destiny, heaven and hell, uh, a lot of times we, we try to look at the life of the person who's passed and, and consider how what they said about their faith matched up with what they said, and, and we start making admittedly, some guesses about the place of eternal destiny for them, heaven or hell. I have to confess to you this morning that there are a lot, and I mean a lot, of things in the Bible that I do not understand. There's a lot of things that are uh, admittedly beyond me. There's still some, some things that I, I think I'll get one day. I just I haven't had a chance to study all of it the way that I want to. And I'm convinced that after I apply all the best powers of reasoning over all the years of my life and asking the Father himself to please give me illumination, there's still going to be some things that just like that, just right over the head of me. And I will confess readily this morning that heaven and hell are on that list. I do not understand much about heaven and hell. Part of it is because I don't know why. And part of it is because the Bible, frankly, doesn't say very much about either of those places. In fact, the way that they're mentioned uh, in the scriptures sort of assumed that the original audience of the scriptures, those original readers a, a couple thousand years ago and, and, and further back, that they already understood this heaven and this hell concept. And so the writers of scripture said, never, uh, never said, here, let, let me teach you what heaven is. Let me teach you what hell is. Instead, there's some things kind of mentioned in passing like everybody already understood them and I'm not one of the people who already understands. But as I read the teachings of Jesus, I don't really think that it was really important to him that I have a completely developed understanding of those two places. In fact, it doesn't seem to be important to him at all as I read his teachings. Instead of the place, Jesus seemed to want us to understand the conditions in which you and I could come to experience eternal life. So this morning, rather than speculating about what heaven and hell are like, because I'd still really be guessing, 
Instead of trying to get you to be afraid of one of those things and so incredibly desirous of the other that you decide, I'm going to become a Christian just in case. Instead of those, those approaches, today I want to help you to understand what eternal life really is. The thing that Jesus promised, the thing that he was trying to help us understand and try to take the fear out of the transitions. And then I hope to, to help you to end up in a really hopeful frame of mind and heart as you leave this place this morning that changes the way that you experience all of life from here on. That's a lot, and I'm probably not going to get all of that done, but uh, I'm going to give it a try, okay? To begin with, I want to show you a couple things that Jesus said that I think will help us to get an understanding of what he promised in John three sixteen and called eternal, or uh, in the King James Version, everlasting life. And in order to do that, uh, we're going to need to read another part of the scriptures, a conversation that Jesus had with one of his close, close followers, one of the original 12 disciples, a guy named Philip. Let me set the stage for you before we read it. Jesus, at the point of the conversation we're going to read here in just a moment, pardon me, had, uh, Jesus had worked his last miracle, okay? It's done. And uh, as far as this life would go, time was up. He'd accomplished absolutely everything that the Father had given him to do, except for taking the sin of the whole world upon himself in crucifixion. So feel the moment where Jesus is. All the good stuff is behind him. And all that's left is the most difficult and painful moments of his life. Jesus was in a bind. You ever had people over for dinner and it just turns out it was the wrong day because you were in a bad mood? Somewhere between getting the meal ready, getting the kids ready, cleaning the house, or in a conversation with your boss, I mean, the day just turned, it, it turned into the wrong day and you're in a bad mood when company got there. By the way, all apologies to our small group <laughs> for, for the times that... Um, Laura had to tell me three times to run the vacuum, okay? Uh, That's where Jesus was. He's getting ready to to host this meal, and he's got all the the good stuff behind him and, and this horrible, incredible suffering out in front of him. Evening didn't start out well, and and it just got worse from there. To begin with, everyone who came in was kind of extra grimy from walking the streets of Jerusalem. Uh, You see, it was the week when lots of folks, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands were coming, and they were bringing their sacrifices, some livestock, to the temple. In, uh, I don't know, a few days, really, we're going to all be lined up down along Main Street in Lewiston for the the Roundup Parade. They'll have a couple hundred horses that walk down through there. And what's left in the street afterwards? It isn't the candy, because the kids will have grabbed all of that. Right? You get the picture? Thousands of livestock animals being paraded into the temple. These guys have walked through the streets of Jerusalem and gotten the dust all over them, and they come in for dinner, where it is customary that the person who's hosting the dinner will have arranged for a servant to wash the feet because they wore sandals and yuck, right? But the guys who were sent ahead by Jesus to set up the meal didn't get a servant, and so now everybody's showing up, and uh, and it smells like, uh, and nobody will budge. 
because everybody thinks that somebody else ought to do it. It didn't exactly break the tension when Jesus then stood up, peeled his clothes down to the waist, and said, I'll do it. In fact, it started an argument that broke out between him and Peter. And by the end of the argument, he said, Peter, all of your promises of devotion and faithfulness are a bunch of hot air. By the time this night is over, you won't even admit you're my friend anymore. Save it. And while they're eating dinner, he says, by the way, there's another betrayer among us too besides Peter. Just as Judas went to dip his bread in the pot, Jesus cleared his throat and said, just get on with it. Judas got up and left. Everybody kind of sat there like you're sitting there now. Jesus said, hey, one more thing. Everybody just kind of waited for the blast. But Jesus, after taking a deep breath, said, all that stuff that I've been saying all night, it's true. I'm going to be betrayed tonight. And and you guys all know that you could have just humbled yourself and taken care of the foot washing just this once. But good grief. But look, it's over, okay? Just forget about it. In fact, um, forget I even mentioned it. Don't be upset. Uh, don't kick yourselves. Don't kick one another over this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Lean into God. Lean into me. You know, like, like you used to lean into your mom when you were sad and crying. You know how you used to lean into your dad when you were afraid? You know how you, you lean into your spouse when you're just whooped and can't possibly take anymore, and they're just there for you, and they listen, or they just hold you, or they tell you what you need to hear in order to help you get your head back together. Jesus said, lean into God like that. Lean into me like that. He went on to to say to him, what I'm saying is, you trust me, right? Then take seriously what I'm about to tell you guys. Don't examine what I'm about to tell you in your head to see if you can work out the logistics. Don't see if you can figure out the mechanics of how to make it happen. Just just trust that I'm going to take care of it, okay? Just trust me now and listen. I'm going to go away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. and, And when it's ready... I'm going to come back and get you. I'm not going away forever. And, and you know how to get there, right? Just believe that God and I are so closely connected that I can take care of everything that needs to happen for you to make the transition and get connected with God permanently. And then we'll go see him. As I mentioned earlier, I, I really I, I don't know much about heaven, what it's like. I'm, I'm not even sure that God wants me to understand it very well, this side of death. You've noticed, I'm sure, that God seems to really like uh, springing surprises upon people. But what he does want me to know is that he's there. 
and that I can absolutely count on Jesus to come back and get me one day. And when he does, Jesus is going to take care of all of the logistics and all of the tactical maneuvers necessary to get me there. So I won't have to know the location of heaven. I won't have to fear accidentally winding up in a hell that is far distant from God when what I really want more than anything is to be close to him. Jesus will take care of all of that. Jesus has promised us eternal life. I think it's a much better word than everlasting, because everlasting life seems like, well, this life, just more of it. Frankly, have you had some days you'd rather opt out of than to get an eternity full of them? Me too. Jesus promised us eternal life. He laid down his physical life, and he took up a a deeply spiritual, eternal life, took it upon himself so that he could then share it with all of us. But a bunch of us Christians have been wanting a paradise and uh, called heaven and maybe some mansions within it. And when we focus on those things, we prove that we have completely missed the Savior's point completely missed the blessing of the promise. I don't want a bigger house to vacuum. That ain't heaven. Jesus promised, not that. He promised that we'll get to be with him. Yay. We'll get to be with him. We'll get to be with the Father. These, these ones that we've struggled to believe in our whole lives, and some days almost gave up struggling. Amen? All of our faith suddenly one day is going to turn into something undeniably real for us. You won't have to believe anymore because you will experience it, and that reality will settle into a permanent situation where we never have to worry about losing it or losing anything else else. Doesn't that sound heavenly? Yeah. I got a secret for you. You don't have to die to experience all of it. There's some of it that you're going to have to wait for. You're going to have to wait for some of it, but not the trusting part. You don't have to wait for the the leaning part where where the Lord receives you and comforts you and supports you and strengthens you and helps you. You can lean into him now. What I've been describing uh, a little bit earlier in the sermon, the the heaven part um, and being there with him, it's it's really uh, a kind of a relationship in which it takes um, a, a lot less faith and, and, and hinges a lot more upon just being present. And haven't you wanted that for some time? A connection with God that you didn't have to work so hard at? A connection with him that took less faith and seemed more real? Am I the only person here who wants that? You're with me, right? Yeah, I've been longing for that for a long time. Hoping for a day where it takes less faith to be with God than it does right now. A day that takes less trying. 
Jesus has promised that he will deliver exactly that to everyone who wants it. And he is going to make good on the promise. I know. Because he made good on that promise a week ago for John Myrick. For most of us, we will go through a transition between the worlds, like John has. By the way, Jesus himself went through that transition too. If it seems extraordinarily cruel, remember Jesus himself said, I'll do it too. For most of us, we're going to have to go through that transition that we call death. But the Bible also seems to paint the picture that there will be a whole world full of followers of Jesus that will miss death. That he'll come back and he'll receive them and us into his heavenly kingdom. And some of them won't have to go through death. But for all of us. There's going to be some kind of change that the Bible refers to as a resurrection. And while I don't know everything about that either, as I read the scriptures, it does seem to to make clear that our resurrection will be modeled after that of Jesus himself. There will be real bodies involved in some way differently than the ones that we currently have. But I don't know that the details of all that really matters a whole lot. We tend to focus on this transition between our temporary physical existence and the day that we get to go to God. We focus on the transition in between there because it's full of so much mystery and sometimes it's full of pain. But Jesus didn't focus on that. The Jesus, mind you, who knew he was going to be tortured to death, didn't focus on the transition. He focused on the being with God part. The writer to the Hebrews says, For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, but laid hold of what waited for him. Did you notice while we read that Jesus made some clear and direct claims to already be with the Father? He didn't talk about being with the Father as a future event, as though it had to wait for relocation to a place called heaven. Instead, throughout that passage that we read, Jesus kept saying, he's in me and I'm in him. If you read John chapter 17, we read from John 14. If you read John chapter 17, Jesus, right before he's arrested, says, Oh yeah, uh, um, Father, make sure that they are in me and in you and we're in them and get this whole thing all knit together so that we're together. Jesus made very direct claims that he was one with the Father this side of heaven and he was teaching us that we can be too. Jesus said all of this prior to his death, prior to his resurrection, prior to his return to heaven. And it means that it's possible for you and me prior to his return to earth. It means that some very real portion of what we will experience one day in heaven, that one day in heaven kind of life, it can be experienced by you and me in the here and now. And it comes by making that kind of connection your life's utmost purpose and goal. We read in the Old Testament, before Jesus starts really talking about paving the way, 
God said, they'll find me when they seek me with their whole heart. You want to know how to get ready for that eternal life existence that you're going to enjoy one day in heaven? Here's how. Enter into it now. Enter into it now by by seeking God with your whole heart. Enter into that heaven kind of existence in this life by loving God with everything you've got. Enter into that heaven kind of existence by loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Jesus said that the whole Bible is summed up in those things. In other words, if you lean into God in these ways, trusting him to take care of all of the transitions and all of the mechanics and all of the transactions, you will find yourself not one day in heaven, but here and now, enjoying a state of relationship with God that you find a hard time to describe well enough for your friends to go, yeah, I get it. You find yourself enjoying a state of relationship with God that is otherworldly and that will certainly ease your transition into the next state of unfiltered presence with God. Jesus said, leaning into him is how you get to the Father. You've seen the... the the trust fall, right? The million trust fall videos and you've done them in youth ministry and, and all of that. You've, you may have done them in, in corporate team building events where, where two, one person stands uh, behind somebody who just, and because they trust, they just, and they're caught. Jesus said, lean into me. Just And it will connect you with God the Father and create a bond that can't be snatched away from you, that will withstand uh, temptations, it will withstand trials, it will withstand suffering, it will even withstand physical death and will connect you with the Father forever. Jesus said, leaning into him, that's how you get to the Father. So today, as we close, I'm, I'm going to just pray a simple little prayer, and I'm going to pray it for myself because I want to be connected to him. I want to learn to lean more because I want more of the peace that he promised in this life for the people who lean into him. And if you want that too, you can just kind of, you know, say the same thing to God. In the leaning in the trusting, you will find a real connection with God that one day will turn from a faith-based experience into an experience-based experience. And from what I hear, it comes a lot faster than you think. And that means maybe you shouldn't put it off. If at all, at all, you feel drawn toward a God who, who loves it when you lean on him. Why don't you make that first lean or the first for real lean into him today? Um, I'm going to pray, and I'd invite you to, to stand with me. But you could also, if you would like, um, 
if it's, if it's more comfortable for you, you can remain seated. Or uh, these wooden benches that we have at the front of the church are actually not a bench. They're an altar. They're a place where, where many of us frequently have found just a, a comfortable way to humble ourselves before God and to, I don't know, forget about everything else that's happening in the room at the moment and, and to connect with him. So um, just know that the altars are open as well, but God will meet you where you are. Lord, the things that I do read about heaven make it sound incredibly glorious. But the words in the Bible that talk about heaven paint in such, I don't know, dramatic ways that it seems almost exaggerated, like it's make-believe. And I'm not about to say that I don't think that those pictures are true. I just, I think my, my mind has failed to understand how beautiful, incredible, peaceful, tranquil it's going to be. But I do get the best part. The best part is I'm going to get to be with you. I've wanted that my whole life. An awful lot of it, I just thought I wasn't good enough. When I'm honest about my track, rec- track record, I, I know I've done some things that ought to disqualify me from any kind of relationship with you. But the same Bible that, that tells me in ways I can understand about the best part of heaven also tells me about the best part of life on earth. It's that I can be forgiven of my sins. I can have that, my record expunged. And I can have a real life connection with you in the here and now. If I'll just trust you. If I'll just trust that you're really going to take care of all that. I don't have to fix the relationship. I don't have to make reparations for all the wrong things that I've done. There's no, there's no prison sentence awaiting me. No hell. If I just trust you. So for me, one more time today, maybe for some folks who are here for the first time or the for real time, I'm just going to bet everything I've got on you, Jesus. I'm just going to lean into you. Trust that you're taking care of all the rest. And I trust that one day when I make the transition between here and heaven, that the glory of what waits for me will make the suffering kind of pale. I'll certainly cry out to you then and ask you for, your, for help with it, but between now and then, would you help me to connect with you in such a way that the transition doesn't seem to matter anymore? I guess what I'm saying is, would you help me to connect with you so completely that I've already made most of the transition before my body gives up? How much heaven do you want to give me on this side? If heaven is being connected with you. Lord, I pray especially for the folks in the room who are just praying that for the first time or the for real time today. Because I know that the, when they walk out those doors, they'll go back to, to the rest of life that, 
beats people up and beats people down, and in which there's a very real enemy who tries to discourage people and tell them, ah, you were just emotionally overreacting to what that guy said because he was so enthusiastic. But I pray that the real things that transpire in this room today, the real faith that is born and takes root in people's lives, I pray that you would preserve it and that you would grow it. And that as they lay their heads on their pillows tonight, they'll sense something changed for real and forever today. And I pray they experience the same thing tomorrow morning as they wake up. Jesus, thank you. Thanks for making a way. Thanks for being the way and for showing us the way. Bless you. Your holy, holy name. Amen.